This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Red's far from perfect, yet Sadio sends out the latest title warning to Man City. Virgil van Dijk, now 60-0 at Anfield, as the Reds' heavyweight shows no sign of being toppled. And next, a place in Europe's last eight awaits as Inter visit Anfield. To get into all of that, we have the O Squires, the Bramflakes boy himself, Matt Addison, and our own sparkling January signing, Richard Garnett. Gents, I hope you are all well. Theo, I'll throw over to you first and I suppose it's a win's a win's a win following that performance against West Ham United. The Reds far from perfect but got the job done. Yeah, you pretty much summed up perfectly there. It's at that stage of the season now where it doesn't matter how you get the points in the bag as long as you get the points in the bag. And that was the case for Liverpool. They knew how West Ham were going to play. It was very similar from them to how they were at the the London Stadium with the the time-wasting tactics, the physical approach, right down to standing on Alisson's toes at uh, corner kicks. Um, for some reason, Liverpool just struggle against West Ham. Uh, now they're quite a talented side with a lot of talented players. Um, it, it wasn't Liverpool at their best by any means, but they got scored a good goal. Lovely pass from Naby Keita to Trent. I think he's admitted himself it was a shot that he just didn't hit properly. But Sadio Mane times his run to perfection to stay on side and get the tap in. And there weren't really many other clear shot uh, chances from Liverpool. It wasn't their best by any means. And you think, well, you can stomach it in a game like West Ham as long as you get the win. Save your best for the Champions League, round of 16 for the quarterfinals, for the games that mean that little bit more. Uh, defensively, there's some a few scares, weren't there? You think of Trent having to get one off the line, a couple of good saves from Alisson, that absolute sitter from Lanzini that he skied over the crossbar. But you make your own luck and Liverpool probably be due some of them. I'm still adamant if four nows um, wasn't in that offside. He probably thought he was offside. That's why he's gone to try and finish it with that little chip. It's too casual. It's too cheeky. I can imagine Roy Keane would have been fuming watching that one because he just side foot it past Allison, just put it in the bottom corner. But no, he goes to be cheeky and by doing it like that, it gives Trent the time to get back and hook it off the line. But yeah, Liverpool got the job done. They got to the final whistle. They got the win. Now they can focus on the Champions League and hopefully put in a better performance there. Um, maybe you can put it down to tired legs, which wouldn't be any surprise when you think of the month they've had. Jurgen Klopp's had a little bit of a moan about it today, hasn't he, when they had to go Sunday, Wednesday, uh, Saturday, Tuesday with this little run. You think how uh, intense this period's been. But they've only lost, was it now, three times in the past 12 months. I think the anniversary of the Fulham defeats today. So we're, we're now in that three defeats in a year spell. It's like Liverpool back to their best, even when they don't play at their best, they get the results. And that's why in the past they've been champions of Europe, champions of England, champions of the world, and why they're in a position to be going for all these honours once again now after the horrors of last year. Yeah, definitely. Matt, it's probably not going to be a game that lives all too long in the memory, but it is the exact kind of result that just needs to be churned out. I mean, it's an odd goal win, a, a, a win by just a single goal. Sadio Mane shocked the man who got it at Anfield. I mean, it's something straight out of the, the title-winning campaign playbook, isn't it? Yeah, it was a, a win, an ugly win, if you like, in, in some ways. Liverpool wrote the look in, in little bits and pieces. I think Jurgen Klopp said himself afterwards, didn't he, that 
you know, you, you don't win 12 games in a row or whatever it is now without getting a little bit of luck here and there. And I think that's, you know, what Liverpool did. And I think you make your own luck as well at certain points. I think Liverpool didn't play particularly well as a as a team and they can play far better, but there were a couple of, of decent performers in there. I thought Trent was, was very, very good. I think Andy Robertson wasn't too far behind him on the opposite side as well. I think there was there was still certain elements of a Liverpool team. It's it, it's just the, the standards that we hold them to these days that that wasn't a particularly good performance compared to to what they can do but equally it, it was enough to to beat a, a very very good West Ham team probably maybe maybe the best West Ham team that, that I've seen so I think it's um yeah it, it was an important step forward wasn't it it was it was one of those where Liverpool had to win we, we spoke a little bit on the podcast on on Friday in, in previewing it of kind of do Liverpool need to, to make a statement or do they just need to win? And there was, you know, a little bit of me that that thought if if Liverpool do turn up and do play well, they could win by by three or four goals. And then that really would kind of show how good a team Liverpool were. It wasn't to be on the day, uh, like we've said. It, it was more just in the end about getting across that line and, and getting to those three points. And that's what Liverpool did. So, yeah, you, you can't really have too many complaints. I think when when the games come so so thick and, and so fast and, and they continue to do so with Inter and Brighton and Arsenal and all of these other games to come, I think, like Theo says, it's it's inevitable that there are certain games when you're going to drop off a little bit. The promising thing for Liverpool is that they can drop off. They cannot play particularly well, but they can still win. And like you say, it's uh, it, it's the perfect recipe for, for a title charge. Showing how young you are there, Matt, saying that's the uh, the best West Ham team you remember. The one that went down had more star names than this one, if we're being honest. West no, Ham used to be about really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just liked um, the fans were singing about winning the Europa League. Like, Are we in a world where we could all be off to Helsinki in like August for the European Super Cup between Liverpool and West Ham? Who knows? Hey, I, I, to be fair, Theo, I, I don't reckon I'd be going, but you you probably got the chance. <laughs> anyway, Richard, I think I'm right in saying you signed for the Echo the same day Luis Diaz arrived on Merseyside with the Reds. Let's talk about him. I'll let you wax lyrical about that run that he had. Maybe should have slid in Mohamed Salah, perhaps not quite understood the hierarchy of uh, things at Anfield just yet. But what a run it was. And again, a magical display from him. Just to be clear, the two signings were separate deals. There was nothing between me and Diaz in that in that in that double double Merseyside sweep. But um, Luis Diaz is a breath of fresh air, isn't he? And he's kind of you know you're right that he's still learning uh, learning his way around this Liverpool team and and uh, and settling in and uh, and you know <laughs> he, he, he will quickly learn that hierarchy if he if he hasn't already after. You know, after that particular moment on, on Saturday, but I, I just like the uh, he's he's got a bit of a rawness rawness about him. He, you know, he's still he's still not um, you know completely comp- molded as a Klopp player, but it, it, nevertheless, he's been able to come straight into this side and bring something different and bring something new to it, almost with that sort of um, swagger of Suarez about him a little bit. I think it's you know I noticed noticed against. Um, against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final in that first half, the number of no-look passes he was playing, uh, not necessarily needing to do that, just in the middle of the, in the park, you know, kind of expressing himself and, and trying to put his own stamp on the game. But straight, you know, straight away, uh, you know, opponents, they won't, they won't, most of the teams that he's come up against, they won't know a great deal about him. Obviously, they'll know, they'll know that he's done stuff with 
with uh, with Porto on his on his transfer to Liverpool was of course pretty high profile. But they're still learning about how to play against Luis Diaz, and and, and that's to his benefit, isn't it? I mean, and it's just just exciting everyone whenever he goes on the pitch. He's, he's the first player at the moment. I think supporters are looking forward to see will Diaz start? Is he on the bench? What sort of impact will he make? Um, and yeah, I, I just I'm excited to see what he does next. Yeah, I mean Salah basically from day one day I was scoring goals, but admittedly even kind of the early days of him there was a lot of feeling that he was spurning a few one-on-one chances and oh if this guy starts scoring he'll, he'll really sort of take flight which is of course second half of that first campaign he did he's never really looked back but Luis Diaz can you remember a signing who immediately has had people so excited and on the edge of the seats and as Richard said there as soon as the team sheet's coming out it's not checking the other big hitters of there is is Diaz there? Um, probably Torres, Suarez. I think those are the only two, those exciting names that came in and just made that um, instant impact. You know, they're going to be a little bit special from the off. Um, in terms of impacts, I, I said this on, on the debrief at the weekend, it's almost Ronnie Rosenthal territory here. If we can go on and win the Premier League, it will be because of the impact he's had. Like We've all had this time with Liverpool where they don't sign too many players and we're saying, well, the squad they've got is very good. And they can get by and still compete for honours. But it shows the difference where you do go and bring in a player and just put it on the top and it can lift the whole place. It can lift training. It can lift the crowd. And we're seeing the impact of that right now. You just got to hope that it's not adrenaline from Diaz. And it is really, this is how he's going to go on from now for years to come. Um, when we talk about other signings, it was mentioned in Fabinho's press conference even today. He took a while to get going at Liverpool. You think of Andy Robertson, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Sakumi Minamino, when the excuses are still being made for him, how it was tough for him coming into this country midway through a season with the pandemic on the horizon and all of this. Diaz has had to deal with the same changes coming into a new country, um, coming in mid-season, where the weather's going to be awful and it's going to be so cold to anything he's used to in Portugal. New language, we say it every week, it's like he's been at Liverpool for years. He's making such a good impact and it is that stage where you're waiting for Firmino and Jota to be back fit and firing, which doesn't seem too far off. And you just couldn't pick what is your first choice of full front three. Like Say they're in the Champions League final, who will start? You can't call it at the moment because it's such a hard call where Sadio Mane is back in the goals, Mohamed Salah's the star man, Firmino's been there, done it all. And before Jota's injury, he was the star of the season along with Mo Salah. And that shows how, what an impact Diaz has made and how impressive he is that he can completely change the conversations we've been having for half a season just from what we've seen in a month from him. Long may it continue. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It can go two ways though, can't it? With, if you sign someone in January, I remember Newcastle signing uh, Faustino Aspria when they were uh, you know, riding high for the Premier League, looked odds on to win it. And he, he was a great player, but he, he did probably slightly disrupt um um that that juggernaut that Newcastle had at the time and there was no no guarantee with Luis Diaz coming in that he would be able to you know he wouldn't do something similar and just and just be playing a different game to the other players. I think he is playing a slightly different game to them but it, it's it's been to the benefit of Liverpool at the moment, not to the detriment. Yeah, definitely. I was going to mention that kind of Colombian impact that Tino Aspria <laughs> detrimentally had to Newcastle, but perhaps the opposite will ring true for Liverpool. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh 
Matt, just in terms of Diaz, though, and kind of how he fits into that front three, and I, I suppose what it is that gets people off their seat when watching him. I mean, that run just demonstrated all of it. Mohamed Salah within sort of 25, 30 yards of goal, those tight, mazy dribbles that he has in the locker. Sadio Mane, very much a box player and, and, and a poacher finisher, which Diogo Jota has in his locker too. And Firmino, those flicks, but with a guy who can genuinely just have that slinky gait and just kind of ride challenges and go past people. It is just another kind of ingredient added into the mix that, that Jurgen Klopp has to kind of somehow shoehorn the best combination into a team. Perhaps gone are the days of the front three. It's now three from five. Well, that's exactly what Liverpool have been crying out for, isn't it? Over the, the past few seasons, they've had you know, the, the the front three. And then if, if one or two of them have been injured or if they've had AFCON or whatever it might be, you've you've then been really worried. But that's the, the whole point, isn't it? You've got obviously five bodies to go in there now who are all of, of that similar quality. But like you say, you've also got all of the different attributes that you, you would want really to, to be covered. And in terms of, of Luis Diaz, I think that the most exciting thing really is that we've only just started to see what he can do. We've only seen little glimpses of him. That run was was one. We've seen you know, him score a goal. We've seen him get into to good positions. But it, it does feel to me like there's still there's still another level for him to, to go and, and click in the next couple of weeks and maybe another one, two, three levels after that. It, it still feels like we're seeing little bits of him here and there in terms of, of that. But, you know, the, the, there's still times when you think, could he maybe have, have done this? And could he maybe have, have gone at his, his marker or gone past a player or you know, all of, of these things I think it's it's only natural that he's kind of he's fitted into a certain extent and, and really really well but the more that he kind of fits in with his teammates the more he gets used to what Jurgen Klopp's asking the, the better and, and the more kind of streamlined that will be which I think is is even more exciting but yeah the, the fact that he's at this level that he's at now already is is just a, a real promising sign I think for the future and you know the, the more the more game time that he gets with the, the players around him, I think that the more excited you're going to be because, like I say, we've seen glimpses, we've seen little bits of, of tricks and flicks, but I'm pretty sure, you know, within the, the next few games, certainly by the end of, of this season, I think that the goals are going to start coming as well because he, he's quite simply too good a player not for, for that to be the case. Yeah, definitely. Match has, has got in touch on, on YouTube whilst we're recording, saying maybe Diaz fitting in is a, a sign that Klopp has changed his ways, especially in how quickly he has adapted, kind of backing up the point you made there. Matt and me saying it was it was three from five. Travis reminding me there is a front six with Divock Origi about as well. Don't forget Minamino. Minamino. Oh, Minamino. Okay, yeah, seven. All right. Okay. Fourth top scorer, isn't he? Yeah, I suppose, and we may even say Alex Octo Chamberlain plays up there from from time. Harvey Elliott, Kate Gordon. So, yeah, there we go. There are so many, so Harvey many. Blair. Yeah, Should, exactly. They never, exactly. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't even need him. Anyway, right. Let's move on. Let's talk about the upcoming game with Inter Milan in the Champions League, and of course Liverpool leading two 0 going into this one, Theo. But I suppose does the scoreline from the first leg maybe? I don't know paper over actually how tight a game it was, certainly up until Roberto Firmino opened the scoring. I mean, Inter did hit the bar in that game. They, they very much kind of did put Liverpool, certainly half of it, onto the back foot at times. And Jurgen Klopp, I suppose, backing up the, the old cry that 2-0 is the most dangerous scoreline in football, if you're leading, saying it's the one that's been overturned most often. Do Liverpool have anything to fear, fear about? Um You'd like to think no. It's a Champions League night. It's at Anfield and it's one we've been waiting for an awfully long time. And you think, 
what we're talking Champions League winning year is that last time we had a proper Anfield European night with fans inside because Atletico was just a bit weird. Group games don't really have the same buzz as the knockout stages, the business end. This is the one the fans have really been waiting for. Uh, we know how uh, intimidating the prospect coming to Anfield is on these nights. You think Liverpool should have enough. The fact that they can go to the San Siro, not play as well as they should do, um, have to make the subs to change it, and they come away with a 2 0 win that shows how good they are. Just makes you wish, don't you wish away goals were still a thing? Like you'd be still feeling so much more comfortable if Liverpool were in this game with, oh, they've already got two away goals, Inter has got to score three. We'd all be happy there, job done. Instead, there's always that anxiety that, or oh, if Inter score early on, what's that going to have impact on the tie? It's a completely new landscape. And while well, we're used to this in, I don't know, League Cup semi finals and these sorts of competitions, it does feel a bit missing from European competition now. I, I, I get what you're saying, and I get I've already had a bit of a grilling, and you are the king of the takedown. But was it not Liverpool fans mentioning after the defeat to Atletico two years ago at home that, oh, away goals, what is the point of it? Does it not need scrapping? I mean, it, come on, where, where's where's the balance within it? My point with the away goals is I never had an issue with them happening then I was completely fine with it against like Atletico Madrid and those sorts of games. It's just when you have the extra half an hour. That completely kills it. When you've only got yeah. half an hour to get back and then the one goal completely changes the tie and it's done and dusted because it's that pressure there. I, I reckon it was fine keeping it in place and just ending it after the, the 290 minutes. And if you're going into extra time, yeah, there is a slight advantage playing at home, but that's just luck of the draw, whether you're playing at home second or not. Well, well equally, you said it's luck of the draw, but also for the last 16, it's, it's married up like that because of the side who's won their group. So yes. Deserve then, isn't it? So it's like yeah. we should still have European goals in it. I feel, and like I know Rangers got through in the end against Dortmund, but it wouldn't have been a shock if we'd seen them knocked out and the away goals not mean anything because of that. Like they got, was it they got a draw last week, the week before uh, Ibrox, something like that? Yeah, I think so. Was it two, yeah, it's two, yeah. two. Yeah, but when you yeah. see the first leg score, you're you're expecting our oh, Haaland will be fit, Dortmund will absolutely terrorise them. Ibrox, and as it happened, Harlan missed that game through injury. It just it's taken that element away from it, that shock factor. Um, but we're going to a whole new debate here, aren't we? Like Liverpool are two not up, yeah, they might not be away goals, but I still have every faith that Liverpool are good enough to beat Inter Milan. Um, I saw Inter Milan destroy Roma back in December when I was over in Italy for the for the AC game. And while they're they're good, it says more about what isn't there in Italy at the moment. The competition they're getting from these other sides isn't what it used to be. Like Edin Dzeko, we saw him in the Premier League and he, he was a decent striker, wasn't he, for Man City when he was at his peak. But he wasn't this world beater. Whereas now at Inter Milan, he's scoring goals for fun to the extent that their um, director can make a cheeky comment about, oh, we got rid of Lukaku for 100 million and we've just got the exact same goals coming from someone who's in his mid-30s. It's, it's not the same quality in Italy. Anfield fully roaring behind the Liverpool side. It should be a bit fresher. And if they're not a bit fresher, they can just make five subs to turn things around. Uh, they, they should have enough to get it done on the day. And then then it's the proper business. And then we're in the quarterfinals when the final is in sight, when you could be facing anyone, where it's that, that prospect of, oh, God, are we going to have to play Chelsea in another competition? We're going to have to play Man City uh, three times in a row. Or we're we just going to get, um, well, the big teams we've got left, Bayern Munich, PSG on Real Madrid. The, these are the big names you want to face. Inter Milan are one of these big names, but they've been lacking that. In, uh, European story so far. I'm sure they'll want theirs to continue, but Liverpool have proven in the last few years that why they are one of the elite sides in Europe and they should have enough to get through. Yeah, definitely. Matt, okay, what about heading into this game, Thiago? 
potentially looking as though he's going to return. Jurgen Klopp first off the bat in the, the press conference was asked about team news and, and said they're all back in training. And I suppose these are the exact nights that Thiago was kind of signed for, wasn't it? His pedigree in European competition. And if there are to be any nerves, I mean, let, let's not forget Liverpool in full control of this time. Certainly with there being no away goals, it, it would take something miraculous to see them lose that advantage. But Thiago on the field, you, you would feel even more assured, no? Yeah, you would. Uh, I personally wouldn't start him. I wouldn't risk him. Um, I'd, I'd much rather actually see him against Brighton at the weekend. I think you keep him and, and you keep him fresh for that. And obviously Theo there mentions that the five subs, I think you, you keep Thiago and, and don't take that risk if Liverpool need someone to, to come on and, and dictate the game with half an hour to play. I think he's already shown this season that he can do that kind of, of role. I think that wouldn't be a massive shock to, to see him come on at some point. But I just think it's a, a case of, of picking and choosing the games, really. I know, obviously, Liverpool have to take this game tomorrow night seriously. It's it's not done. Inter are, are a good team, but with a two-goal advantage, I think Liverpool can afford to make a couple of changes. I'm sure we'll, we'll come to, to our teams for the game very shortly. But for me, it's... You don't want to say it's done and dusted, but I just I, I can't see a situation where Liverpool get themselves into a panic. I think, you know, in, in previous seasons, Liverpool potentially could have done, but we mentioned the home record. We mentioned you know, Virgil van Dijk's record at Anfield, all of these things. You, you just can't really see Liverpool getting themselves into a panic and, and into a position where they have to, to bring on a load of players and, and try and turn it around. I think they've, they've done the difficult bit in the first leg. They've got themselves a couple of goals up. I, I just can't. I can't see the need, to be honest, to, to risk Thiago off the back of, of a little injury. I think, for me, the, the most important thing now is that, that Liverpool win the, the game against Brighton, keep the pressure up on, on Manchester City. And I think, to be honest, I think the Inter Milan game should take it take care of itself, really, given what Liverpool have, have done in the first leg. And let's be honest, if, if you're not playing Thiago, it means you're playing maybe Naby Keita or Harvey Elliott or, or somebody else. It's... It, it, it's a drop off, but it's it's not necessarily something that that, that would concern me, to be honest. So yeah, what you're no. saying is they didn't need a genie when I was in replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> we spent enough air time talking about that one. North Red there talking about how crucial Thiago is for the running. And I suppose Richard, that brings us on to five substitutes. That was the axe that Jurgen Klopp had to, to grind in his press conference today, talking about just how important it is that the Premier League perhaps do take that on board and bring the five substitution rule in. It is in place in the Champions League. So does that kind of beg the question that Liverpool have a better chance of using this fully fit squad, this the, the full depth of the squad they have in the Champions League? They can't use it in the Premier League game in, game out. So therefore, using five substitutes in the Champions League, would that give a better opportunity, a better chance of actually that being the silverware that is landed by the end of May? It, it would certainly give a better chance for a team like Liverpool um, and Manchester City, who've got these um, fantastic squads of basically two squads of first-team players. So um, it's no surprise, really, that, that Eva would be calling for, for the introduction of, of five substitutes for, for the football purist who, who, who may have even adjusted to going from two substitutions to three, um, and I possibly might include myself in that, giving me age away slightly, but, uh, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's something that you've got to adapt to. But, you know, this is the modern game says uh, we have all these great players and I can see why some some teams who perhaps don't have the um, the benefit of such big squads would would not be in favour of it. And 
But um, since when in Premier League football have people not looked after their own self-interests? Uh, and to that end, it, you know, it would make, entirely makes sense that Jurgen Klopp would want five substitutes. And I think, you know, they've done it in other parts of Europe, haven't they, in the major leagues? So I, I, I can't see it being too long, the way, the way it's going, uh, until, until that does come to fruition. I wouldn't be surprised if from the start of next season uh, that, that was the situation that you had but just just going back one point if i may um just with regards to the game against inter tomorrow i used to in an old job i had somewhere else they used to have uh, uh sayings on the wall and one of the sayings was uh complacency is devastating liverpool have got a 2-0 lead in this tie manchester city have got a 5-0 lead uh, and they're playing at home on wednesday now he can literally change 11 players there and he knows he's still going to go through guardiola this intergame, Liverpool feels absolutely right. They should should more than have enough to do it. But as far as I can see, it is still in the balance. So I, I personally would be looking to pick as strong a side as possible, try and get the job done early doors, and then think about making changes for Brighton. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, completely understand where you come from. And the, the Italian press was scathing after the defeat the for Inter at San Siro. One of them in the immediate press conference saying, is your side going there as tourists for a day trip? Jurgen Klopp kind of has referenced that ever since. And that certainly isn't the way that, that Inter and, and certainly the way Liverpool won't be treating Inter Milan. But Theo, we, we're speaking there about kind of the, the five substitutions and other themes that came out of Jurgen Klopp's press conference. One of the others was the fact that Pep Guardiola, after the Manchester derby, was asked about Liverpool or kind of he was actually asked about how much he wants to win the Champions League with Manchester City and turned it into saying, I'm up against the toughest opponents I've had in my career and we are pushing each other every step of the way. You previously said that Liverpool could end up facing Man City a number of times by the end of this season. And therefore, I wonder if we might kind of see a repeat of what Pep Guardiola experienced at Barcelona up against Real Madrid in, I think it was 2011, 11 years ago now, where in, in the space of sort of two and a half weeks, his Barcelona faced Real Madrid four times, including in Champions League semi-finals, which of course they won. But that really kind of seen as a period that burnt Pep Guardiola out ahead of then leaving the following summer and wonder actually if that could kind of history repeat itself and and, and come to fruition once more. You're asking me if Guardiola's leaving next year because I thought we'd already confirmed that he was. I didn't know if he, he definitely confirmed it. But oh, I, I thought mean, he, he said he was going in 2023, yeah. Right, OK, so we go to the <laughs> No, but I mean, just in terms of how 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 fierce this battle is, both and, and Jurgen Klopp spoke about it in his press conference today, kind of saying how 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 City equally are the toughest opponent he's had. That actually, it's these two sides pushing one another onto this great level. Well, I like Klopp's response to it because he said he could just say Man City are the toughest team he's faced, but it's not strictly too true because he also faced Guardiola with when he was at Bayern Munich. You think well, Bayern were these German powerhouses where they could just go, you're the second best team in Germany, you've reached the Champions League final, I'll take X, Y and Z from your squad, you're not strong anymore and we're going to dominate for the next 10 years. For a City could never do that in England. So from City's point of view, Liverpool are very much Guardiola's toughest test because they've got to this position of strength where they have been able to win the league often, they've been able to win the Champions League where City keep falling short. And then for Klopp, it's just, well, he's having more success with this Liverpool side than he managed with Dortmund. So maybe it's not quite the same challenge for him. Still, they are such a good side. It's why we're talking there. They could put out a second 11 against Sporting Lisbon. They could be 2-0 up, never mind 5, and they'd still 
get through. They've got such a good squad. And it's the games you look forward to, but when they're here, you hate playing them. Like Chelsea in the final was grim. Chelsea in any game is grim. And it's exactly the same with Man City. Like these aren't the rivalries that we had with Manchester United and Everton, where you've got that emotion in it when you just want it to be over and done with. And there's that relief if you get the result at the final whistle. This is, uh, you know, it, you can't call it where it's going to be such an entertaining watch where it can go either way and it's such thin lines and you know just how much is riding on it. Like Liverpool lost a Premier League title because John Stones got one off the line a couple of years ago. It's, it can be as tight as that. And you think we're seeing some of the best football between sides ever played when it's Liverpool versus Man City and at the very best. Uh, we could see this four times in a row. They're in the FA Cup semi-finals against each other and then the Champions League quarterfinals against each other and then that title decider at the Etihad. You think, well, if the Premier League title race is down to three points between them when they go into that game at the Etihad and City's Champions League hopes face on. They have to get past Liverpool to get to the final four. And then you've got the FA Cup semi-final at the end of it as well. That's just going to ramp up the pressure even more. And it's how, what can your nerves take? Like, we're feeling nervous enough just about a title race at this point. City, it's going to be even worse for them because they're the ones who could potentially lose it if Liverpool catch up. And we've seen how much of an impact Liverpool have had on them before. And you think, was it the documentary where Guardiola was practically scared of Salah, Firmino and Mane and what they can do? And while the three aren't as deadly as a trio as they were, Salah obviously still is. Jury's still out on Firmino, Mane to an extent. They've now got Diaz in that, so it makes them unpredictable. Jota in there, it's unpredictable. You've got the next generation of midfielders. Liverpool are in this transitional period and they're going from strength to strength. No wonder these managers want to go at the end of the contracts because you think if you're doing this battle for, what, five, ten years, that's draining. You said Guardiola left after it when it was Barcelona, Real Madrid. But even then, when it was Barcelona, Real Madrid, he was onto a winner. He knew when he had the Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol, Busquets, PK, all those legendary players, it would take a bad season for him not to win. I think that's what happened in his last season. They didn't win. It was Real Madrid's year that year. Whereas Liverpool, Man City, it's just too close to call. There's a bit more money in City's pocket so they can go and sign who they want, but they didn't sign a striker in the summer. And that could prove costly. You think Liverpool scoring goals for fun now. Uh, but yeah, these games, you always look forward to them so much as a neutral, but you must you hate being involved in them because you know how much it means if you lose, but then you know what's at stake if you win. It's similar to the battles with Chelsea when it was Rafa versus Mourinho, but Liverpool weren't a great team then. But they were poised to do well in Europe and Rafa got his tactics right time and time again when it mattered most. But this is when the quality is there for both sides and it's just such a fierce contest between the two. Um, part of you do, does want to see him go head-to-head four times in a row, but then that that is going to be draining. I, I, I'm not sure if we can hack that at the same time either. Yeah, but equally, I mean, you, you're saying there Pep wants to, to go in 2023, much like Jurgen Klopp, he's kind of intimated it. He's not confirmed and said that definitively I'll be off. And I mean, Jurgen Klopp in the last week seems to have started perhaps eking the door open to changing his mind on leaving in 2024. I suppose, Richard, it, it's kind of the, the, the question. I mean, we go on about in football so many times how short these careers are. If you're Pep Guardiola, if you're Jurgen Klopp, you've tuned these machines to this level over, say, five or six years by that time when it does come around that they're allegedly leaving. You don't just want to walk away, do you? This is what we're this this is what they must be in it for, this and everything with it, albeit as Theo says, if it is four games in a row, I mean I'll be I'll be straight there with the popcorn watching because it is absolute theatre at its very finest, albeit yes, it is, I suppose, nerve shredding for those involved. 
Just to be clear, if that does happen, I'm booking that week off. All right. Go <laughs> <laughs> to Joe and I'll tell him on it once a week off. <laughs> I think if you have uh, a week off, you still got to do two of the games. <laughs> pro- probably, probably true. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you'll have no hell after yourself by then, uh, you know, I think. But uh, um, you've got to ask yourself the question: Why do you do any job it, it, unless you need the money? Well, that's one reason. But, but the other one is you should do a job because you enjoy it. And people like Wadiola and Jürgen Klopp are in privileged positions and they've earned the right to be there by being so good at what they do. But they should only do any job if they actually enjoy doing it. And I think Pep Guardiola enjoys being manager of Manchester City and Jürgen Klopp really enjoys being manager of Liverpool. Now, if the intensity of going up against Klopp season after season without having it your own way when you've got the best resources in world football at your disposal becomes too much for Pep Guardiola, then it's understandable that he might say, I've had enough of this. Whereas by that by that same token, Jürgen Klopp could feel the pressure of trying to have to compete with, with Manchester City. But I, I, I think, I just feel like the, the, that sort of change in mood from Klopp kind of points to the fact that he he, he he is recognised that they can compete with City. And not only that, he has started to evolve that Liverpool side now. You know, all great Liverpool managers, the truly great ones, have, have evolved their teams over time and, have, you know, had more than one uh, successful trophy winning side. And now you can see the nucleus of, of uh, that second generation coming through for Klopp now. And I, I've got a sneaky feeling he'll want to see that through. And if if he's settled, and if the you know the terms are right, and he's enjoying himself, um, then uh, there's no reason why he might not continue for longer. Throw in the mix as well that period with COVID, when you've got empty stadiums and uh, you know a bit of a everyone, not just uh, football managers, but everyone has a little bit of a reset on uh, what's important in life and, and 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 how to get the best out of it. And you know he, he might think differently now to what he originally did do and. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah, I'm completely. I think by 2024, that, that that as you say, the nucleus of that squad that he's starting to build will really start coming through. And does he really want to lay the groundwork for the next man to, I suppose, fill up a trophy cabinet that effectively won't be attributed to him? Matt, I want to bring you in. Theo's desperate, but I'll bring you in first, Matt, because you've not had, had a say on it. But I suppose the difference between Guardiola getting burnt out at, at Barcelona was his A, emotional attachment to the football club and B, the emotional turmoil Jose Mourinho inflicted on him. Whereas with Klopp and Guardiola, as we've seen today and yesterday with their praise for one another in their press conferences. This is purely a professional rivalry. Yeah, it's a it's a rivalry full of, of respect, isn't it? First and foremost, I think there's obviously a, a rivalry between maybe the, the two sets of fans and, and kind of the, the clubs in terms of obviously only one of them can win the Premier League title. And I think Liverpool realised that they would have a lot more trophies in the bag if, if Manchester City didn't exist. But I think, you know, the, 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 the two managers, the, the, the two best managers in the world, for me, the, the two best teams in the world at this moment. And it, it would be a shame if Pep Guardiola was to, to leave in, in some respects in, in 2023 because you would lose that. And I think it, it is, it, it, I think Jurgen Klopp said it himself today, it's, it's a period in which Liverpool wouldn't be as good as what they are without Manchester City. Manchester City wouldn't be as good as what they are without Liverpool. So it, it would kind of, it would feel... 
it would feel the wrong time for for one of them to to leave before the other. Almost, it would almost be like the the end of of an era for for one club, even if it was the the manager of, of the other that that wasn't going to be there anymore. So, yeah, I think it 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 would be one of those that I think that there's still there's still a possibility that both of them continue longer than than what they've kind of said up to this point. I know Jurgen Klopp did kind of clarify his comments a couple of days later and, and said last week that nothing had changed really in terms of his plan. He still intends to leave in 2024, but it is still a long way away, isn't it? I think if if it gets a little bit closer to that, there, there is still a bit of me that thinks it, it just hasn't been quite long enough for, for him yet. I know he's already going to have, have been at Liverpool longer than he's been at other jobs, but it, it doesn't feel anywhere near the end of, of the line, really. You look at, at the squad, as you say, you've got so many young players coming through, you've got kind of, uh, you know, uh, so so many reasons, really, for for him to, to continue in this job. And, and like Richard says, it, it, it looks very much like Jurgen Klopp enjoys being the manager of, of Liverpool. And I think as it stands right now for him to leave in 2024, I think that would be, that would be too early. I think if he did go then, he would probably look back and think, what if he'd have just done one or two more years? Because I know he says he wants to go and, and retire and have a bit of time with his family and doing a bit, a bit of travelling and, and stuff like that. But I think we've we've seen that with him in the past, haven't we? After after Borussia Dortmund, he wanted to, to take a year out and ended up coming to, to Liverpool a little bit before his plan, just because he was ready to, to come back. I think you're a long time retired. He's he's not that old as a manager. I think if uh, if he if he left Liverpool and, and didn't go on to another job or just sort of didn't keep himself involved in football anymore, I think just for, for somebody who is so ingrained in it and, and is clearly so brilliant at it, it would be a miss for the sport, but I think it would be a, a bit of a, a miss for him as well. I'm just going to say, yeah, timing's everything, isn't it? Like I think in Germany, if Dortmund were in a better position to go and win Champions League's, Bundesligas without having their key players taken away. If he had been able to finish what he started with his squad intact, he probably wouldn't have left Dortmund when he did. He may have done it a few more years there. So they couldn't offer him what Liverpool have been able to offer him. If you'd asked him 12 months ago, are you going to go in 2024? It would have been a yes. He, he was falling out of love with football. With, it was all well, the injuries were taking its toll on Liverpool. There were no fans in the stadium. Obviously, he'd had personal bereavements at the time. It was a very tough time for him and a very tough time for Liverpool. But in a year's time, two years' time, if it's the start of this next Liverpool side, it is taking on the next journey, isn't it? It is that next step and he could achieve so much more. And you think, well, that would be the longest sin of his managerial career. It already is an insanely long time compared to what's normal for managers. But as Matt says, it doesn't feel enough. And maybe that's because for all our lifetimes, pretty much, there hasn't been a Liverpool manager that's left at the high. They've always cut their highs and they've gone back down and it's the end of their story when you think of Julio Benitez before that Roy Evans Sunis Elglish maybe left in the lurch that was one where he could have carried on um, and then it was just that transitional period in the 70s and 80s going to the next great manager the next great manager it's, we're still at the start in the middle of this journey you don't know if Pop can hand it on and it is just going to be that succession or if he'll go too early or if he'll stay too long and think, oh, I should have gone a bit early He's just got to enjoy it whilst it lasts. Um, if he'd been asked the question last year, I reckon his mind would have been made up. Now you can see the seeds are maybe there a little bit, but he doesn't want to commit either way, and quite rightly so, because who knows how he's going to feel in two years' time. And then it's also, how does he feel about the challenge of Man City? If they're not at the same side, if Guardiola goes, and he's got the option there to go on, you are the best team now, go and win two, three league Premier League titles, go and win two, three Champions Leagues. Is that motivation to carry on? Or is that a good time to 
pass it on. Uh, so I was going to say it's a fascinating thing to see. It's very intriguing to see what these two managers want to do because they'll have both sides weighing up. They'll know that the trophies are there for them and the competition's there for them. They know they're legends at both clubs already. They've achieved so much and it's going to be fascinating to see how the next leg of this Liverpool-Man City rivalry goes on in, I suppose, the second half of this decade. There's so, there's so many things that, that could change, isn't there, in that couple of years? I mean, even just sort of looking at, at the cha- changes to the Champions League format yeah. this season, there's going to be so many more games. I think Jurgen Klopp, even in, in that sense, could look at it and just go, do you know what? Don't really fancy doing six extra games each season in a group stage or where, whatever it might be. I think that the, there's just so many elements of it that, that could change. But I think even if he was to go in 2024, and I think Manchester City are the same to a certain extent, I think both clubs without their manager would drop off a little bit. But I do think both of them are, are set up pretty well with the, the people they've got around. If they if they kept the majority of the staff and Julian Ward is is there and, and does what we think he's going to do and, and there's certain people within the, the backroom team and there's still Alex Inglethorpe within the academy, there's, there's all these people in there. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp is a huge part of that, but I think possibly the, the biggest legacy that Jurgen Klopp could leave is actually everyone that he's brought in or brought with him to continue to, to do what they've kind of put in place. I think I think that will be massive. But of course, we, we don't want to test out that theory just yet. The longer the longer they can go without having to test that, the better. It's Shankly it, to Paisley it, rather than Ferguson to Moyes. I was gonna say it's, it's boot room it's boot room two point zero, isn't it? Boot room kind of reimagined for the twenty first century. But Richard, yeah I'll let you finish us off oh. before we go into our team selector. I was just going to say, uh, the best thing you can say about Klopp is, if you look back over the last 30 years, he must be the only manager who has a Liverpool side where players at their peak stay at Liverpool as opposed to go and sign for a, a big European rival. If you look at all those, you know, Liverpool have been blessed with great players, particularly strikers down the years, uh, and, and they've all ended up going somewhere else, Barcelona, Real Madrid, wherever. It's the reverse now. There's players want to come here uh, and they may get they may get bigger paychecks from some other bankrolled clubs but but the bottom line is that 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 sort of um situation of liverpool losing their best players to other teams is is has vanished it's it's been reversed and if there's any great thing out of yeah Klopp's legacy it must surely be that the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo Yeah, some great chat going on in the chat box as well. Uh, effectively, I'll sum it up by saying the overriding feeling is Klopp hopefully won't be moving on and equally in the, the, the two full seasons and this one still left to play out that remain. Liverpool will be hoping to pick up as much silverware as they can. Who knows, off the back of three back-to-back Champions League titles, he, he might just call it a day there. But anyway, let's move on into our team selector then, ahead of Inter Milan's visit to Anfield for the Champions League. Last 16, second leg, Liverpool leading 2-0 going into the game. And I'm going to say they'll have Alison Becker in goal. Theo, what will the bat for be? Uh, Trent, the returning Matip, Van Dyke, and Andy Robertson. It's still the first choice back four. And then you're hoping that Liverpool maybe one 2 0 up on the hour mark and you can throw Simicass in there or Joe Gomez or Canate, bury it up. But you start with your strongest back four, and that's what it is at the moment. Is that what you go along with, Richard, or do you do you? I've I've got the same. Yeah, the only question mark was over whether he kept Canate ahead of Matip, but if, if Matip's fit, uh, I fancy him to come back in. Canate was brilliant, wasn't he, in the, the first leg in San Siro? Matt, would you be minded to start him? 
Yeah, I'd be tempted by Canate. I mean, obviously, we don't know exactly how ill Joel Matip has been. I think Jurgen Klopp said three or four days he was was out for, so it's not exactly like he's got a you know a big recovery to to do off the back of that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm tempted by Canate to be honest, and I think maybe maybe leave Matip until the the weekend. But the bottom line is, with all of these, which whichever way round it is, don't think it'll make much difference. All right, Richard, what's the midfield three going to be? Keeping it quite strong and solid there. Uh, Fabino, Henderson and the returning Thiago, if he if he's ready to go. Just think uh, that, that gives you the right right solidity, really, to uh, to uh, kind of answer the questions that are going to be asked by Inter Milan. And uh, as Theo says, hopefully he can get a couple of early goals and, and then look to make changes. Yeah, it's definitely going to be the big debate is over whether or not Thiago does start. Matt, you said before you don't start him. So what's your midfield three? I think Fabinho and, and Henderson are pretty nailed on certainties to, to to start the game, and then it's just a case of of one other, isn't it? I think there's a decent uh, Harvey Elliott argument to be made. Obviously, he played in in the first leg, didn't particularly do that well in that one. Got got taken off, didn't he? I mean, it wasn't wasn't a poor performance by any means, but it was just kind of not maybe the the right game for him. So that maybe edges me away from from picking him. But I think it's. It's probably one for Naby Keita. I think he was was okay at the weekend. Didn't do anything spectacular, but you know did did absolutely fine. And I think that's that's what you need. So I'd probably go Naby Keita. Wouldn't shock me if it was Harvey Elliott. Wouldn't shock me if it was Curtis Jones. But yeah, Fabinho, Henderson, and Naby did make a good defensive block at one stage as well, didn't he? Naby Keita rushing. He also back. missed the header in order to get yeah. have to do that. But yeah, yeah, all right. I'm just saying, it's <laughs> something that normally is always seen too much from him is that defensive work. Theo, who are you siding with, Rich or or Matt, or are you going to pick a completely abstract uh, midfield three? That's at Madison97. If you want to have a go at him for those navigator <laughs> comments there, just remember at Madison97. Um, but having said that, I, I am siding with Matt, and I reckon I'd start navigator, uh, Fabinho and Henderson just because uh, I don't like Henderson on the left hand side. And when you start Harvey Elliott, Henderson has to be on the left hand side, and it's just it doesn't flow as well. Um, I agree that you, you don't want to throw Thiago in when he's just back from injury, when he can be so crucial for the rest of the season, it feels a better game to give him 20, 30 minutes. Um, and then so Oxlade-Chamberlain, he's not been at his best the last couple of appearances. Curtis Jones, I think it'd be a bold shout to put him in. I'm not saying he's not good enough or we wouldn't see it from Jurgen Klopp, but it, it does seem more where you'll stick with Cater and Anderson with Fabinho Elden. You've got to remember how good the two of them were when they came on at the San Siro. Um that, that worked then. Hopefully it works again now and then you can maybe make those changes on the hour mark. Okay, no worries. Uh, Matt, then, what about the, the front three, the forward line? How's that looking? Yeah, this is this is a hard one, isn't it? Obviously, with, with players coming back, I don't think we'll see Roberto Firmino. I think he was the, the least likely of, of the returning players to, to play a part in this one. Might come off the bench. That wouldn't wouldn't be a massive shot with the, the five subs. But I think Mohamed Salah pretty much nailed on, um, as he would be, but particularly because he came off a little bit earlier than possibly we would have expected at the weekend. So I think he'll be there. Um, I'd be going for Diogo Jota through the middle. And then it's a case of, is it Sadio Mane? on the left or uh, Luis Diaz. I think probably just about edging towards Sadio Mane um, and then leave Luis Diaz to, to come off the, the sidelines. But yeah, it, it, it could go either way, to be honest. There's probably there's probably an argument, actually, that Sadio Mane now is, is going to play more and more through the middle. And so maybe you, you play Luis Diaz in this one and, and leave Mane to, to play centrally. But yeah, I think 
it'd be one or, or two of those. Jota and, and Salah pretty much would be would be certainties for me, I think. Okay, Theo, what are you saying about the, the forward line? Um, pretty similar, to be honest. Salah starts, I think, Jota through the middle. He, he hasn't been at his best since he's come back from his injury, but he's had more time to train now. You think, hope this is a game where you can start and show a bit about yourself, uh, show that you're still there, that you still should be starting some games. Um, it's one with the five subs. You can just give him an hour, see how he does, and then take him off. And then Mane getting the edge on the left-hand uh, side. Um, you need some impact subs in case they're needed, and Diaz is going to be one of the best around. And then you can throw him in and unleash Diaz against Brighton at that half-12 quick-off on Saturday that we'll know how much Jurgen Klopp loves. Yeah, certainly travelling, I suppose, all the way down to the southeast. Having done the journey myself this weekend, yeah, it's not advisable for a 12.30 start. But anyway, Rich, what about yourself with that that front three? Is it time that Diaz does just get a, a slight rest and, and come in? work his way off the bench? Yeah, I think that it's not a formality. Picking the front three just shows what Richard's uh, Klopp's got at his disposal now. But um, I'm afraid I'm going to be a bit bored and agree with uh, Matt and Theo. Uh, I'd go with uh, Salah uh, in his usual position, Mane on the other side and Jota through the middle. And I think, as you say, with Diaz, uh, slightly slightly more unpredictable player. Uh, keep him in reserve in case he needs to produce some fireworks in the second half. But yeah, Salah, Jota, Mane. Yeah, no worries. Okay, then let's go around with the predictions then. Um, Theo, start you off. Obviously, Liverpool already leading 2 0. What, what do you think the score is going to be on the night and therefore on aggregate? 2 0 on the night, 4 0 on aggregate. Um, it's Liverpool with full Anfield behind them, roaring them on. Fancy them to get a clean sheet. And it's what they're good at, isn't it? These sorts of games should be enough to go through. Matt, you were nodding away in, in, in agreement there. If you can't have the same 2-0 scoreline, what would you go? No, I'm joking. What's the score going to be? No, it's going to be 2-0. Uh, that's that's what I'm going to go for. Um, I think, yeah, Liverpool showed that they were, were were too good, even when Inter played pretty well, I think, in the, the first leg. I think it would be uh, would be a big ask for, for Inter to, to do too much in this one. I think Liverpool probably make light work of it. And what about yourself, Richard? I'm going to give them a slight chance. Um, and possibly nick a goal um, to make it interesting. But I still think Liverpool will have too much for them. So I'm going to go with 3-1 to Liverpool. 3-1. OK, we'll have to wait and see how it does play out. Then remember to check out all the action across the Liverpool Echo website, all the build-up, the uh, match blog, as well as plenty of reaction. And here on the Blood Red channel, we too will have plenty coming up for you ahead of and after the game, of course, including Jurgen Klopp's press conference following the full-time whistle. But from myself, Guy Clark, Matt Addison, Theo Squires and Richard Garner, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.